poetry healed me. Like, I'm coming from my own personal experience. I dealt with a lot of bullying. I dealt with a lot of depression. If I didn't have poetry or spoken word, who knows how my mental state would be. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Amber Green, who is the director and founder of the Phoenix Youth Project, which uses the creative arts to help youth engage in personal growth, self-expression, and positive social change. Spoken word poetry, as well as workshops and poetry slams, are key features of the Phoenix Youth Project. And this year, Amber has put forward a writing contest for all middle and high school students from the lower Maryland counties. So welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited. And I will tell you, the first time, you and I are friends on Facebook. Yes. And there was a video that you posted with some of the students. Mm -hmm. I think they might have been middle school because they looked young. Yeah. And you were doing a spoken word thing with them and I those kids they were just into and I watched that video like I know it's like two or three times I just watched it and I looked yeah and I was like I have to have her on the podcast because what you're doing with them is so incredible to see those kids get so excited about poetry yeah I with those workshop it's our rhyme and reason workshop um the video that you saw was at Salisbury Middle School and um, that group was a very exciting group. And what you saw was actually called a cypher, okay. um, what a poetry cypher is. And usually you see hip hop rap artists do it where they hear a beat and they just start, you know, spitting out different verses and everything. And with this one, I kind of did a spin on it and I just did everyone just write a poem. So it was good. Yeah. And they were so enthusiastic. They were just not only were they into the thing, they they were on camera and they were just into it. And it was just this moment where I you see the spoken word poetry and young people and it just celebrating kind of, each other. Yes. That was one of the things that I think captivated a lot of viewers the most was you had these middle school kids who you hear all these like stereotypes about the kids and how they are in school and how they're bullying each other and how it's just a hard time to be a kid. But here you saw this video and these kids didn't know each other from before going to the classroom. They're celebrating each other. They're like, oh yeah, that's what's up. They're hyping each other up. It was really good, especially knowing what ha- knowing the the process it took to get to the, that part. And it it was a it was a great experience. And to see that in the middle school level and to also see that in the high school level, um, I do the same program, the exact same program, but it's I get different things from it. I learn from the youth as much as they learn from me. And so it's it's a great experience each time. So what was your inspiration for the Phoenix Youth Project? Um, so this is actually a funny story that I'm not really sure if I actually really told anyone. Okay. Um, so when I was 15, I had an insane infatuation with the Harlem Renaissance. Ooh. Um, I really just love Langston Hughes. All, all I, fifth, it's a 15 year olds all go through right. That. Yeah, I mean, all 15 year olds go through yeah, that. Right? I mean, it's very typical. <laughs> and something that, and honestly, it was it was weird because I had my fascination with the Harlem Renaissance, and then Harry Potter was coming around, right? Oh wow! Okay. And you know the Phoenix, yes. how the story of the Phoenix, it and the ashes, it rebirths, and everything. And somehow I saw the connection with the Harlem Renaissance. I saw how 
you know, you have black artists, black um, social uh, social justice activists who were using art um, to bring light, to bring back birth and fire to like, you know, activism and art. Cause you know, during that time it was a civil rights movement. It was a lot of things, a lot of discrimination that was happening. And I saw that each of those artists like Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes, all of those artists that came out of that time, even actors, not even just writers, they were like, each, like Phoenix. Like they were each of, they used their art to like kind of bring birth, birth to like black literature and, and somehow that's where like the idea of like, I love the Phoenix. And that's kind of like where, when um, I got out of school and I wanted to get involved with the youth and the community, I was like, this is it, Phoenix. Like, cause at that point in time, the juvenile crime was rising in our area. There was a lot of talk about how students and youth are not taking care of their community. It was a lot of negativity that was surrounding it. And it was a lot of negative energy in the atmosphere. And so, I was just like, you know, we got to we got to do that. We got to rebirth it. We got to do that. And so through the ashes comes a phoenix. And so I really through that, that's kind of like birth what phoenix is, um, which is really like trying to evoke change through the younger generation and trying to invoke that change, that change when they're technically living in hell right now, like they're being birthed in ashes like right now. So that was kind of like my inspiration about it because it was it was weird. It all started with Langston Hughes and Harry Potter. <laughs> that is beautiful. How did you how did you come to Langston Hughes? I mean, that's my third grade teacher who I can't even remember her name, but I just remember um she gave me a book that had Langston Hughes poetry in it and one of my favorite poems was Crystal's is Mother to Son. I always call it Crystal's there. But Mother to Son is like my favorite favorite poem and I don't know why, but every time I recite it, I always do like this country Georgia drawl to it because I feel like that it has to be recited in that voice and um ever since then I just got connected to it I don't know it was I call Langston Hughes like my fairy godfather like I (laughs) I really love Langston Hughes and as I've gotten older and learned so much more about him and learn about his background him being LGBT as well as African-American and literature like it makes you like Dang, he was dope. So yeah. I just really, yeah. I really love Langston Hughes. I love what he did for black literature. One of the things that resonates with something you're just saying is that when you, when you have someone that you read, mm-hmm. that you enjoy their work, and then you find out the person behind the work, this, yeah. you know, the story behind the story, you know, and then you find out that not only is this person, you know, capable of producing great work, mm-hmm. but they were also a great person right. behind their work. And I think, you know, and a it, lot of who they are is the reason why their art is so great. And that's honestly everything that why I have do I do with Phoenix, because one of the things that I always try to put it with youth is that you have to learn your first find your voice, find, find, empower yourself, make make you have that feeling that, you know, you are important. Your voice matters. And then learn how to use it and be comfortable in using it and be loud when using it. And so that's how we connect that art to social change, because I firmly believe that art is that tool to get change. Because if you think of all the great movements that's going on, the civil rights movement, you can't think about the civil rights movement without thinking about Sam Cooke. Like you can't think about um, different paintings or different things without knowing the time period that they came from. And so art and literature and everything that's creative really is the thread for like social justice. And 
this that's like the best part about you know encouraging youth to use their um their creativity to impact social change and i found my tool my voice was through poetry um as well as you know creative digital media like i do a lot of video editing like if i if i wanted to i could create a story just with visuals and just try to do that um i haven't d delved more into that as much as i would love to because i'm so wrapped up in writing but it's, I just feel like there's a power for it, but I know that art can do it, that for anyone. So that's why Phoenix is an arts organization. We focus mainly on literature because that's, you know, my niche. But sure. if I knew dance choreographers or if I knew painters or I knew sculptors, I'm open to any young adult that want to volunteer and get involved with Phoenix and share their skill. Then who knows? There could be like a trash sculpture. Uh, sculptor who's going to, you know, do a trash art installation and we're recycling and completely going green. So it, I just really love to give an opportunity and a space for youth to use their creativity and just like go ham on politics and go ham on social activism. Absolutely. You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're speaking with poet Amber Green. Going back to Langston Hughes, mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite authors is James Baldwin. And yes. So they had a falling out later in life. And I think it was about Langston Hughes not coming out. Yeah, it was hard for him. It was hard for Langston Hughes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Lorraine Hansberry was LGBT as well. Um, and it was a hard time. I just had a viewing through Phoenix Youth Project. Um, we watched the James Baldwin documentary, I'm Not Your Negro. Film creativity always sparks a great conversation. And James Baldwin talked about how he could not identify with different groups within the black community or within society. And it was always it was always that factor that he was LGBT or he was low income or he was black. There was always that that, you know, that pool. And so I do think that, you know, there was probably was a falling out because there was a tough time to be, you know, black around that time. But can you imagine being LGBT in a very Christian very Christian movement, civil rights movement, all the meetings were in churches. So to do anything anti-Christian was, I don't care if you are for the race, you're just not for us and I don't want to work with you. And um, because we think about, you know, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks was not the first one that sat on the bus. It was actually a 15 year old girl who was pregnant, um, but that didn't look right in the, in, in the Christian mind. So it was a tough time to be a true activist and be who you really were. But those particular artists, those marginalized individuals, those LGBT, those African-Americans, they took to their, you know, they took to their art. Lorraine Hansberry put in her books. Um, Langston Hughes put in his poetry. James Baldwin put in his works and his, his speaking. He was an amazing speaker. So it's, you just see how art really carried these artists and really carried like these activists to like new realms that I use for myself as like a guideline to how I, you know, work with youth and how I move forward in my own goals. You're doing uh, the the Rise Poetry Slams. Mm -hmm. When you meet these kids or young people mm -hmm. um, and you say to them, okay, I'm going to I'm we're going to do poetry. Mm -hmm. it, it, do you ever find that there's like a resistance or is it or, or do they do they open up once they realize kind of where this so, creative movement is going so funny story i'm originally from washington dc um so already like culture is vibrant there i'm familiar with busboys and poets spoken word like we have a lot more access and um to different cultures and different um ways of art when i did a 
program inside a local school. It was about maybe 50 to 60 kids. I asked them if they knew what spoken word was or if they performed it. Only five kids rose their hand. Oh, wow. So that's one of the challenges that I have is not only do I I want to like, you know, get these kids motivated to use art and to use like their voices, especially poetry and spoken word. But now I have to get to the point that I have to now expose them to it. I have to expose them to, you know, poetry and spoken word used at very raw levels and used in very controversial ways. Um, that was one of the reasons why when we started as an organization, I partnered with Brave New Voices, um, which is a nationally known organization that have partnered organizations across the United States. And these organizations can build teams, build spoken word teams of youth um, that are 24 and younger. And what they do is they compete in different regional things and then they can go to a national competition and compete against poetry teams in different areas. And being able to show kids from Salisbury or, you know, the Eastern Shore that there are groups of kids who are going to Baton Rouge or going to L.A. to compete in poetry slams and meeting other different kids. And they're talking about real stuff. They're talking about LGBT. They're talking about sexual assault. They're, it, it's talking about a lot of things. And here I have to break down a lot of barriers. I have to break down a lot of you know, the barrier that a lot of youth don't feel empowered that they can speak. Then I also have to break down the barriers of like, you know, policies and we're in a slower, lower Eastern shore. We're behind in a lot of things. We we're kind of in a time travel. So I have to, in order for me to do fully fulfill the purpose of Phoenix, I have to do a lot of work within the community before my organization can even fully service the community. So that's why like my own personal activism, my community activism comes into play because I got involved by this organization, but then I hit a roadblock when I realized my organization can't do what it needs to do right. because the community is broken. And so that's why it's kind of like this really cool balance because I'm getting these youth and they're talking about issues, but now I'm trying to focus their issues on, okay, we know what's nationally happening. Let's focus, let's focus on local. And so now when I'm getting these kids to talk about council members or I'm talking to getting these kids to talk about local issues, now I can get them to change the community. So it's like my my organization is not only servicing the community, but it's also it, it's also getting help from the community at the same time. And it, it's a really cool thing how Phoenix has came together. It's so organic. I've literally been winging it like eyeliner. Like I really <laughs> don't know how I've been doing it for three years. Well, there's something about spoken word poetry that breaks down pretense. Yes. Um, when you have a kind of a culture here that is built on this double pretense, yeah. Then just getting the kids to see, just helping the kids to see how they can work a little bit against mm. it. How do you how do you walk that fine line between breaking down enough of the pretense that you can say something, but not so much of it that you get kicked out? Right. And and that's where I've gotten really creative with my <laughs> my workshops that I've been doing in schools. So I um before I started getting into schools, I did a lot. I did some some mediation training uh, with Community Mediation Maryland. They have a Eastern Shore office at uh, TCM Tri Community Mediation. I learned um, some facilitation training and some mediation training. So I took some of those skills um, where occlusive listening and different things of learning how to listen and not speak. And so I took some of those skills and brought them into the classroom. 
Um, and what I do every time, and this is really important, but what I do when I start a workshop is I have them write, like write it out. It's not, it doesn't have to be a poem. It doesn't have to be whatever. I call it a brain dump. Like whatever's happened in that day, just dump it out. And one of the important things that, um, what we do is once they share, I ask them, is this a positive thing or is this a negative thing? And they tell me if it's a positive or negative. And if it's negative, then we collectively, we trash it. Like we do this cheesy thing where we like throw it up, we rip it up, we stomp ah, on it, we fun. throw it in trash. We visual, we visually and physically are trashing this negative energy. And if it's a positive thing, we together, we celebrate them. But in that portion of the, the workshop, just before we even start writing, before we even talk about poetry, before we do anything, we're getting to know the kids. We're trying to figure out what's going on with them. And always in that conversation, issues about the schools always come up. It's always talking about bullying. We're always talking about race. Race always get brought up in there. We always are talking about LGBT. We're always talking about teachers and how they work with students. And we're we're in the great thing is with the teachers that I partner with, they jump into the conversation as well. So now it's not students talking bad about teachers. It's teachers and students talking about how their community within the school is affecting them. Right. And so that right there is like the foundation of our workshop because from there they have topics that they can write on or if i need to i can expand a little bit more and talk about how they can use their poetry or how they can use their spoken word to talk about the specific issues i will say a lot of the times um, we have to put a lot of things in a parking lot um and and basically because we there's so many options and we do want to get to the poetry but around that time you literally have a lot of kids who are brain dumping and talking about their experiences, um, girls talking about how they almost got into a fight earlier, talking about how it all started on social media. And you hear the you hear the topics and we have this like right now I have a parking lot of about maybe seven topics that came from our first workshop that we're still working on and that we still haven't got all the way through that one big discussion. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, once I get more volunteers, we can go into these schools more frequently because right now it's just myself and maybe a couple of volunteers here and there. But if we can, if I can engage the young adults and the college students to get involved, we can be in these schools more, more often and they don't have to wait like, you know, a few weeks before they can like brain dump and talk about these issues. Right. Um, and also that's why I'm working with like, you know, the schools to try to encourage them to work with these programs like there is um one of the teachers that i'm working with she is trying to create her own poetry program where she's actually created it um and i just come in as an extra bonus just once a month right. um and so th so i have a school that doesn't have a poetry program it's just me that comes in once a month and then i have another school that's trying to build a program that meets regularly and i'm just a bonus and i come in once a month but if I can have more volunteers, I would love to do these poetries in the poetry workshops within the community because that's where I feel like it works because I wanted to have youth and adults together working on poetry, talking about issues because too many times we see youth saying, well, these are youth issues. These are juvenile issues. No, they're dealing with the same issues that you are. You're just looking at it at an, a quote-unquote adult mind when really it's just it's just a different lifestyle, different cultures. You're listening to So What's Your Story, and this week we're speaking with poet Amber Green. The difficulty with writing in general, we, mm -hmm. we, we talk about this a lot, is that people who, who don't write think that, okay, well, 
you sit down with your ideas fully formed and you go at them. But one of the things I talk to my daughter about all the time, Stephanie and I would talk about, if you want to be productive once you sit down, you better have mm-hmm. said all this stuff out loud. What do you think of this idea? What do you think? Of, and when you have someone outside of you challenging your ideas, mm-hmm. you can, when you, by the time you're ready to write, you know the objections mm-hmm. or you have a sense of the objection or maybe you've had your mind changed. Yeah. But the outside talking is at least as important as the sitting down and writing, if not more important because it makes you get a sense of what you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. What do I really want to say? And when you're all talking like that, that's why those brain dumps are they're huge. Because yeah. when they get to it, they'll be ready to attack it. They'll they'll be ready to get to work. Yeah. And, they've had their heads clear. And not only ready to get to work, but just ready to just be present in the time. Because I've seen too many times where there are kids who come into these after school programs or even when we were able to do our poetry workshops within the community, you can see like they had the entire world on their shoulders and it may not have it had nothing to do with whatever happened at school. It was just them mentally thinking about what they have to deal with at home. Yeah. And so it's it's a lot of, you know, first tending to the to the person and tending to the person first, because if we can't you know, make sure they're okay, whatever they're producing, whatever art or whatever, it's not going to be fine. That's why I focus a lot on mental health. I always, um, one of the things that I try to encourage a lot of people do, everyone in the community is get trained in adult mental health training and youth mental health training. Um, I did a free workshop, a free training with the Wakamaka Health Department, and I'm able to see the signs of depression within youth and the signs of suicide. And I tell kids all the time, when we're in this room, it's a vault. You're, it's free. Um, you can say whatever you want to say. Um, whatever is said in this room, it can't be said in this room. But I have to tell you that if you say anything that has to talk about um, hurting yourself or hurting others, I have to report that. And I'm transparent with them. I let them know. And then there was a point in time where, you know, there was youth who had um, who had comments that were kind of questionable. And I told them, I was like, remember what I said in the beginning? They was like, yes, I understand. So I put that trust in the beginning. So they knew automatically I was going to tell someone, but I get that transparency, let them go forward. And like these are more than just poetry workshops. And I think that's what I think a lot of adults have to realize, especially like teachers and administrators. I'm not just teaching you know, kids how to write poetry or how to do rhymes. I'm really tending to the mental health and the well-being of these kids because poetry healed me. Like, I'm coming from my own personal experience. I dealt with a lot of bullying. I dealt with a lot of depression. If I didn't have poetry or spoken word, who knows how my mental state would be. And so I know I'm a testament, a testimony of what power poetry has. And so that's why I'm so passionate on sharing it with the youth because it works. It's it's a it's a great thing, and I know art works like music does it for others, dance do it for others, poetry did it for me. So I know that you know art is powerful. It can change ourselves, and it can change the world. And I think it's about outlet too. Yeah. You know, so you know you're dealing with middle school and high school students. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, in that mix of you know not just you know hormones and those changes, right. but you know bullying and social media and you know, the political climates mm-hmm. that we have, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so, you know, you're coming at them saying, I'm going to give you a voice. Mm-hmm. You can, you have a voice and I'm going to show you how to access it. And, 
you know, there may, I'm thinking like, there's got to be kids out there who, you know, come to these workshops and they have these things that they're feeling, but it's all locked away Mm -hmm. and they're not able to maybe talk to their parents or, you know, talk to their friends in a way that really kind of is cathartic, you know, Mm kind of get that poison out. But then here you come with these workshops and you're saying to these kids, here's a way to work that stuff out. Here's a way to put it on paper. And, you know, as a writer myself, I mean, I've often said to Tony, like, I sometimes don't always know how I think about something until I've written it out. Yeah. You know, sometimes in the process, the act of writing for me is how I come to understand my world, my experience. And I feel like that is like the gift that you're giving these kids. Mm-hmm. It's it's the gift of knowing who you are, because a lot of these kids don't know who they are or they've already made up in their mind who they're going to be. A lot of kids feel as though they're in order to a lot of kids are just OK with just being a product of their environment. I'm from the hood, so I'm going to be a hood rat. I'm from the ghetto, so I'm going to be a ghetto a girl like a lot of kids just take on these mindsets, take on these stereotypes. That's not their fault. It's society just pushes it on them. We see it in TV. We see it in the news. We see it in movies. Our culture pushes these stereotypes on our youth. And so they're looking at, you know, mirrors. They're How we put in society, whatever we put in society is basically a reflection of how we view them. And so I I always try to tell them that you don't have to be a product of your environment. Your environment can be a product of you. And so if you just work on yourself you, around you, things will change. Um, and then I'm always hit with, but I'm just this. I'm only this. Uh, yeah. I'm only this. Or I'm, I don't have this. Or it's always something that's keeping them back. Or they feel as though whatever they're doing is not enough to make real change. And then I always say, ripples before waves like there's things come build up there's build up like everything that I do I always like my friends everyone that's close to me they'll say Amber you say that all the time I really do and I heard it from um, my first lady and my pastor like years ago when I was going through a lot I was beating myself up I think I was going through a quarter-life crisis like I felt (laughs) like I was supposed to have my degree I was supposed to be married I was supposed to have all this stuff and I didn't have anything but debt and depression and um I, my pastor, uh, my pa- my first lady, pastor in my church, Pastor Asia, I remember, I don't know what sermon it was, but I remember she said ripples to waves. And she said things build up. Like sometimes when you want to make change, it's not going to come crashing. All you have to do is just stick your finger in and just make a small ripple. And then it's going to grow. Like when you do a ripple, it starts really small. But as you go out further, it gets bigger. And so it turns into this wave. And I look at it. I always tell my, I always tell the kids that like whatever you're doing, it still it still matters. It's something matters because you're doing something that's going to inspire somebody else to do something better, and then that somebody's going to see that and want to do something better. It's always going to get bigger. You don't have to be the big name on the block right off the bat. You can still be that 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 finger that just started it, and that in itself is bigger than being the crashing thing that takes it all down. The person that starts it, I think, is the most powerful and. Being that starter, I think, is what a lot of kids, I think, need to want to, you know, aspire to be. Like, I want to be the one to start change. I want to be the one to start a revolution, not necessarily just sit back and complain, 
which we've seen, you know, generations prior to us do. And I think now we have a, a young generation when we see a youth activist and we see kids walking out of schools, middle schools, high schools, elementary schools. We see young activists and they're getting younger and younger. Um, but we don't have older people to teach them anything because we weren't taught anything. And so that's why I'm trying to get them equipped because I'm like, we're on the verge of something. We're on the verge of some huge shift within this country. And for me, I feel as though my job, my purpose is to equip the youth because I don't know what the heck is going to happen, but I need to make sure they're good so when my son gets their age, they can take care of him. Like, that's all I'm thinking about. Right. At the end of the day, I'm thinking about my kid. Like, right, right. I need to make sure that my son is not going to be left with a bunch of weirdos. So, <laughs> All right, Stephanie. <laughs> Well, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Oh, my gosh. Amber, thank you so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> no, thank you. This was great. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.